Good morning, Nancy. My name is Gracie. And I'm Abby. And it's time for a Good Morning Nancy special. everyone hi guys we're back from our little vacation yes (laughs) so one very positive thing that happened at the beginning of the month was that we were introduced interviewed by grim magazine Yay! It's so exciting. (laughs) So for those of you who are not familiar, Grimm Magazine is a fairly new publication that was uh, funded by women and is LGBT plus positive and is one of the most hella entertaining horror zines out there. Mm -hmm. I don't know how we found it. I must have found it on Twitter or online somehow. I think so, yeah. And I was just like, Abby, we have to read this. (laughs) This is the perfect magazine. And... Mm. I mean, like a few months later, uh, Valeska, who's the editor and founder, she got a hold of us and said she wanted to interview us. And I was like, <gasps> what even? It was written in the stars. I seriously was so honored. This magazine is so great, you guys. Um, you can find the magazine that we were in in the show notes. You can read it for free digitally. Or if you'd like to support this amazing magazine, please buy a hard copy. It's just so amazing. Yeah, it was huge for us. Yeah, so. this was like a big deal. Yes. So thank you, Grim. <laughs> yes. Thank you so much, Valeska, for listening to our show and for interviewing us. Like, we seriously were honored by it. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's get started with our season six special. This season, we're talking about the birth of spiritualism and feminism in our home state of New York. Mm-hmm. Now, all of you should already know what feminism is, right? Right? <laughs> I hope so. You better. (laughs) Um, So for those of you who need a little bit of a refresher, it is the advocacy of women's rights on the basis of the equality of the sexes. Simple, easy, why aren't we all feminists? I don't know. Um, But a handful of you might not be familiar with spiritualism. So Abby, would you please start us off with a brief summary of spiritualism? I sure will. So according to Encyclopedia Britannica... Spiritualism, in religion, is a movement based on the belief that departed souls can interact with the living. Spiritualists sought to make contact with the dead, usually through the assistance of a medium, a person believed to have the ability to contact spirits directly. Some mediums worked while in trance-like states, and some claimed to be the catalyst for various paranormal physical phenomena, including the materializing or moving of objects, through which the spirits announced their presence. So spiritualism became very popular in the 19th century at the same time that women began to chase the freedoms that their fathers, brothers, husbands, and male peers had enjoyed for hundreds of years. Feminism, or as it was known at the time, the women's rights movement, was born, and as an extension, spiritualism began to take root in the lives of women in Europe and the United States. It really started to gain traction after and during the American Civil War, which ran from 1861 to 1865, and then again during World War I, which began in 1914 and ended in 1918. 
This was a trying time in our country, and when many American families suffered huge losses, there was an understandable crisis of faith for many grieving widows and mothers. They wanted to find a way to contact their deceased loved ones. Even our 16th president, Abraham Lincoln, and his wife Mary Todd asked a medium to contact their dead son Willie, who passed on in 1850. Spiritualism was an incredible phenomenon in the, in the United States that many people clung to for guidance, but in this episode, we will be focusing more on the origins of spiritualism on the East Coast and how it helped shape the women's rights movement and eventually modern feminism. You may find yourself questioning what feminism has to do with contacting spirits, but you may be as surprised as we were to discover that they were intrinsically linked together by their foundations and followers. Here, we're going to take a deep dive into the lives of some of the important women who gave a voice to those from beyond the grave, while exploring the local history of both movements. Gracie and I were both so lucky to have grown up surrounded by such rich history, and I guess you could say that this stuff runs through our blood. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, New York State, especially upstate, has a lot to explore when it comes to history in general. The East Coast is known for the earliest parts of our country's fight for independence, along with its various political movements, and its pivotal role in the actual formation of the United States. Let's just say we've got some pretty spectacular ghosts and haunted attractions to explore on top of all that America stuff. <laughs> yes, oh heck yes. Um, now, before we continue, I want to acknowledge Anne, I believe her, how to pronounce her last name is Bro Broad? That looks right. Hmm. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> so Anne Broad's book, Radical Spirits, Spiritualism, and Women's Rights in the 19th Century America, um, it's really good because this was sort of when I kind of figured out like that feminism and spiritualism work together after mm -hmm. reading this book. Mm -hmm. So a lot of our core sources come from her book. And of course, all of our other resources are linked in the show notes. So definitely read her book and definitely look at those links because, you know. Lots of good stuff there. Lots of good stuff there. And there's even some stuff in there that we really couldn't fit for this episode. So definitely check them out. I still included them even though we didn't cite them. So yeah, let's get the special morning started. Yes. So Hydesville, New York, wasn't that far from where we both grew up, Abby. Hmm. So it no longer exists. It's actually a part of a hamlet called Arcadia now, which makes sense because I remember when we were trying to find it, I couldn't find <laughs> Hydesville, New York, the town. Yeah. It's a park now. It's yes. called like Hydesville Park. Hmm. So if you're going to go exploring, make sure you look for Hydesville Park, not Hydesville, the town, New York. <laughs> yeah, you won't find it. Sorry. Sorry, you won't. <laughs> but, you know, it used to be just a few miles outside of Rochester, New York. And for those of you who are not sure about New York geography, in relation to New York City, Rochester is about 300 miles northwest. Yep. And I feel like I have to start this part of the story with Once Upon a Time. <laughs> so I'm going to. <laughs> Once upon a time, in a small cottage in Hydesville lived two sisters, Kate and Maggie, who were about 10 and 14, respectively. The two still lived with their parents, and they also had an older sister named Leah Fox Fish, who was living with her husband in Rochester. Okay, so those are our main players. 
In the early months of 1848, Kate and Maggie would hear quote-unquote rappings, for example. That's a rapping. (laughs) (laughs) Coming from within the house. Frightened by them at first, they would try to ignore them. But every night while they were asleep, asleep, the rappings would return. It just so happens that the parents heard the rappings too, but... They could not seem to find the source. Ugh. Yeah, pretty spooky. Yeah. So on the night of March 31st, 1848, Kate decided to try and challenge the invisible noisemaker, presumed to be a quote-unquote ghostly spirit, to repeat the snaps of her fingers. Without fail, the spirit did respond. (laughs) The two girls approached their parents with the news that they could communicate with the spirit. When their parents wanted proof, they asked the spirit to wrap out the ages of the girls. Lo and behold, the spirit wrapped 10 times, pause, and then wrapped 14 times. Frightened to death, but also extremely impressed, Mama and Papa Fox called in their neighbors to show off what their girls could do. The neighbors were skeptical at first, until one of them asked the spirit to wrap out his age. The neighbor had not once told anyone except his wife his age. The spirit wrapped out the number 31, the correct age of the Fox family's neighbor. Over the course of the next few days, a code was developed where raps could signify yes or no in response to a question or be used to indicate a letter of the alphabet. Oh. But who was the spirit, anyway? At first, the Fox sisters addressed him as, get this, Mr. Splitfoot. Don't like that. It reminds me of, like, Insidious. Oh, gross. (laughs) I can't. Yeah, so Mr. Splitfoot is actually a very common nickname for the devil, at least in the 19th century. Hmm. Eventually, the spirit would would reveal his earthly occupation and name. He used to be a peddler by the name of Charles B. Rosna. Rosna had apparently been murdered in the home before the Fox family owned it. That's pretty chill. Allegedly, the neighbors found a few bones in the Fox family's (sighs) basement. But whether or not they belonged to a Charles B. Rosna is still unknown. Cute. The last person to live in the Fox family home was a man named Bell, and that's all we know, just Bell, hmm. who was accused of the murder of this Charles B. Rosna. Bell, who was a real person, denied the claims, but nonetheless, he was ostracized from Hydesville until the day he died. Wow. Yeah, so due to all of the excitement surrounding the angry villagers and Bell, the Fox girls were sent away to live with their sister Leah and brother David in Rochester, New York. Quite to everyone's surprise, the wrappings followed them. Now, Amy and Isaac Post, a radical Quaker couple and longtime friends of the Fox family, invited the two girls into their Rochester home. Immediately convinced of the genuineness of uh, of the phenomena, they helped to spread the word among their radical Quaker friends, who were among the first abolitionists, women's rights activists, and soon became the early core of spiritualists. 
Now, it makes sense for Quakers to be interested in not only human rights, but also in speaking with ghosts. According to Quaker founder George Fox, no relation to the sisters, and the frequently asked question page on the Quakers website, (laughs) which does exist. That's amazing. Quote, Quakers, also called friends, are a historically Christian group of religious movements. Members of the various Quaker movements are all generally united in a belief, quote, that of God in every one, unquote. Wow, I like that. Yes. So in a nutshell, Quakers believe that God lives in all of us, no matter what our race, no matter what our gender, God is in all of us. That's actually a pretty good Christian denomination. They're legit. Yeah. Yeah. And delicious oatmeal. You can't go wrong. (laughs) The Fox sisters quickly became local legends as mediums in 1848, and soon the whole country would hear their rappings. While the Fox sisters were speaking to spirits in Rochester, New York, another movement was beginning to conjure. Just 50 miles from the Fox sisters' location was the first gathering devoted to women's rights in the United States. It was held July 19th and 20th, 1848, in Seneca Falls, New York. According to the site History, Art, and Archives, quote, the principal organizers of the Seneca Falls Convention were Elizabeth Caddy Stanton, a a mother of four from upstate New York, and the Quaker abolitionist Lucretia Mott. About 100 people attended the convention. Two-thirds were women. Stanton drafted a Declaration of Sentiments, Grievances, and Resolutions that echoed the preamble of the Declaration of Independence. Quote, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. Unquote. Among the 13 resolutions set forth in Stanton's declaration was the goal of achieving the sacred right of franchise or suffrage, which is the right to vote. Mm-hmm. Amy Post, you know, the radical Quaker who invited the Fox sisters into her home, and her stepdaughter Mary were among the 100 people who attended the convention, and their signatures can be found on the Declaration of Sentiments. Oh, so cool. A few weeks after the convention, Amy Post and a few of her friends organized the Rochester Women's Rights Convention in Rochester, New York. A pre-meeting chose Amy Post as temporary chair. The Seneca Falls Convention had followed tradition by electing a man as president of the convention. Isn't that funny? Yeah, that's so weird. That the women's rights, they had a man as the president. Like, I, I could not wrap my head around that when I saw that. Yeah, I know. So, defying tradition, the Rochester organizers proposed a woman, Abigail Bush, for the position. It's good to note here that Quakers were the only Christian denomination at the time to have women ministers. However, women were not appointed political chairs of authority. So this was a big freaking deal. Yeah, no kidding. According to Blake McKevley, quote, the proposal for a woman to be president of the convention was strongly opposed by some of the leaders of the women's movement, fearing that women were not yet ready to take that step. Bush was elected despite the opposition, making this the first public meeting of both men and women in the U.S. whose presiding officer was a woman. 
That is wild. Yeah. Oh, my God. So it was around this time that the Fox sisters were introduced to all of Amy and her husband, Isaac's progressive friends, thus historically connecting spiritualism with feminism in New York. Yes. According to Simone Natelli in her book, Spiritual and Entertainments, Victorian Spiritualism and the Rise of Modern Media Culture, quote, on November 14, 1849, the Fox sisters demonstrated their spiritualist rapping at the now-destroyed Corinthian Hall in Rochester. This was the first demonstration of spiritualism held before a paying public and inaugurated a long history of public events featured by spiritualist mediums and leaders in the United States and in other countries, unquote. The demonstration was so successful that it made women's rights activists look at spiritualism a little differently. Sure, it was great for contacting the dead, but these two were young women, and a woman was their manager, Leah, and people actually paid real money to see them. And more importantly, they truly listened to what these young women had to say. Yes, early bosses. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> so before we elaborate on the women's rights movement and its connection to spiritualism, we have got to talk about how spiritualism helped out women who were having a crisis of faith in their patriarchal religions. So like we mentioned earlier, widows, mothers, and daughters were devastated over the loss of their fathers, husbands, and sons during times of war. However, war was not the only way women lost their loved ones. Disease and childbirth were also major ways women experienced death in the 19th century. In fact, according to the Michigan Family History Network, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, infectious diseases were the most serious threat to health and well-being. The most common causes of death were the respiratory diseases pneumonia and tuberculosis. The second most common cause of death was the cluster of diarrheal diseases such as cholera and typhoid. Oh, terrible. Ugh, yeah. So 40% of these cases were among children aged less than five years. And that is so tragic. Mm -hmm. So a lot of mothers who were losing their children were becoming concerned about their children's souls after death. They were becoming increasingly more skeptical of the Puritans' wrathful God from past and began to gravitate towards more images of God as a father figure, a keeper of young children. Some of their children would die so young that they wouldn't even be baptized. According to Anne Broad, 19th century women refused to believe that a benevolent deity would cause precious sons and daughters to be born knowing all along that he would condemn some, if not most of them, to eternal punishment in hell. Antoinette Brown Blackwell, who became America's first Protestant minister in 1852, held her position at a church in South Butler, New York, but soon resigned in 1854 when she disagreed with her congregation's desires for frightening images of God at an illegitimate baby's funeral. Mm. Man, that is rough. Mm-hmm. With the Fox sisters demonstrating a life after death, religious women began to wander from the belief of fire and brimstone, faith and savior, to God as ever-present in all of our souls and in all of nature. These women believed that God was inherently good, and that there was no death, and spiritualism reassured them that they were right. 
According to Anne Broad, death literally occurred in women's sphere. Women, who were expected to focus their lives on the nurturing of family members during life, were also expected to feel the losses through death more deeply than men, who might turn their attention to their duties. Middle-class women remained at home by empty cribs and unoccupied seats at the dining room table and produced and purchased a variety of memorial artifacts from post-mortem photographs to jewelry woven from the hair of the deceased. Reports of women denying the divinity of Christ and denying that there were more than three manifestations of God, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, were beginning to emerge. More and more women claimed to be spiritualists and to know people who could talk to their children who had passed on. Now, you'd think that Christianity, which is filled with people speaking to angels and to God himself, would accept such a movement, but it turns out that the actual instance of spirit communication described in the Bible that is not with an angel of God is the conversation between King Saul and the prophet Samuel through a ghost seer. And let's just say that it is not done with divine approval. <laughs> but the ability to speak to the spirits of dead loved ones gave these women, who were surrounded by grief, help to get them through mourning, so to speak. God might have been still the father, but he was merciful. So women were taking control over their religious beliefs by becoming spiritualists. Not only that, but they were using mediumship to bring comfort to other women. They became religious authority figures and sources of truth for others as well as themselves. Many men couldn't help but hear what these mediums had to say. By accepting the spirit's message, they accepted the medium. By accepting the medium, they accepted the woman. And by accepting the woman, they accepted her ideas. Yes. Mm -hmm. So according to Anne Broad, quote, the prominence of women within spiritualism resulted from a staunchly individualistic form of religious practice. Feminist scholars have found that women have been able to exercise leadership where religious authority derives from direct individual spiritual contact or experience rather than from office, position, or training. Hmm. Spiritualism produced an extreme case of these conditions, offering a unique opportunity for women to assume leadership, unquote. That's so cool. Yeah. So news of the Fox sisters and their wrappings began to spread through networks of religious kin and friendship. Soon the radical Quaker communities in Long Island, Nantucket, Pennsylvania, and of course throughout the rest of New York State. Leah Fox Fish, the oldest sister of the Fox sisters, turns out, also had a gift of mediumship. She suddenly became very prone to headaches and they were only relieved when friend Isaac Post would put her in a trance. While in this trance, Leah would freely commune with spirits, including Isaac's first wife and his departed children. Whoa. Eventually, Kate and Maggie Fox would go on tour around the East Coast to show their powers in mediumship. Their sister Leah would stay behind in her home in Rochester. However, she and her husband would build a seance room where she would continue her conversations with the spirits. She soon became a popular local medium during this time and seemed to convince even the most skeptical, skeptical of customers. Trish Wilson writes on the website Feminista, the Journal of Feminist Construction, quote, women and children of the Victorian era were considered the legal chattel of 
fathers and husbands. Spiritualism provided them with a means of obtaining their own power and financial security. Yes! As the news of spiritualism spread like wildfire, many Americans found the most plausible messages came from adolescent girls. According to Anne Broad, quote, mediumship was closely identified with femininity. The popular spiritualist writer Cora Wilburn heralded the advent of spirit communication in the persuasive accents of inspired women's tongue. The medium may be man or woman, woman or man, but either case, the characteristics will be feminine, negative and passive. So, spiritualists used electricity to describe the powers associated with spirit communication. In order to connect to the correct electrical currents that are used to talk to ghosts, you had to be able to exude feminine negative energy. Now, at the time, not many men were willing to admit to producing a feminine energy that required them to speak to spirits. Hence, the reason why this was a movement that was dominated by women. Wow. Spiritualism was also considered non-denominational, giving those who still clung to their Christian beliefs a chance to practice. And spiritualism, spiritualism and mediumship was not based on one's race either. In fact, the first Christian churches to invite mediums into their place of worship were black churches in Washington, D.C., According to Anne Broad, quote, in the North, African-American Shaker leader Rebecca Jackson and Rebecca Perot trained themselves as mediums and attended seances regularly in Philadelphia. Black historian and abolitionist William Cooper Nell met the Fox sisters at Amy and Isaac Post's home and became an avid convert. The movement even claimed famed abolitionist and women's rights activist Sojourner Truth in her old age. In May of 1851, Truth attended the Ohio Women's Rights Convention in Akron, where she delivered her famous speech on women's rights, later known as Ain't I a Woman. <laughs> her speech demanded equal human rights for all women as well as for people of color. Truth's beliefs was that advocating for women and African Americans was dangerous and challenging, yes, but being one and doing so was far more difficult. Black women were basically invisible within the protracted campaign for women's suffrage. Susan B. Anthony and Elizabeth Cady Stanton, although undeniable influencers of the women's movement, were huge campaigners for white women's rights to vote, while completely excluding rights for black men and women, believing them to be less intelligent. Yikes. Ugh, gross. Yeah. So, hmm. In the amazing article, Holy Spirits, The Power and Legacy of America's Female Spiritualists by Dianca London Potts, she discusses how historian Amy Lehman illustrated Truth's influence by highlighting Cora Scott's letter to Amy Post in the pages of her 2009 book, Victorian Women and the Theater of Trance. In it, Scott praised the power of Truth's words with prophetic enthusiasm. Quote, I cannot tell you the pleasure it gives me to hear her talk. Her words are like pearls cast from the crown of truth. The world will long remember her when other names are forgotten. 
It's a great quote. Mm -hmm. Potts continues saying, quote, the potency of Truth's words stemmed from their authoritative immediacy and her spiritualism transformed her politics into something sacred. Her audiences were predominantly white and thus possibly had limited expectations of Truth's intellects, intellect. But nevertheless, audiences who witnessed Truth's impassioned lectures and the trance-like state into which she slipped while delivering them were transfixed by her power, unquote. Oh, amazing. Mm-hmm. For the first time ever, women were being heard. Spirit guidance was an excellent way for women of all races and creeds to stand up in front of an audience and speak, travel, write books, and experiment with gender roles. Women trans speakers were some of the first instances of women speaking in public in the United States. Really think about that for a minute. That's insane. Mm -hmm. Trans speaker and women's rights activist Charlotte B.B. Wilbur called trans speaking, quote, the people's arena, the democratic pulpit. Ann Broud said, quote, the sight of a lone woman confidently expounding spiritual truths enchanted American listeners. Speaking mediums entranced audiences in major cities and small towns and throughout the North. For listeners, the trans lecture might be both the first exposure to spiritualism and the first exposure to a woman speaking in public. And not just a woman, I want to add, but a black woman. Yeah. Incredible. It is incredible. In Other Powers, The Age of Suffrage, Spiritualism, and the Scandalous Victoria Woodhull, Barbara Goldsmith writes, quote, By the 1850s, a group of female trans speakers were among the first per women permitted to speak in promiscuous assemblies, which meant gatherings of both sexes. <laughs> Ah, that's so funny. Speaking with the authority of the spirits, but without personal responsibility for what they said, these women could not be censored for their statements. <laughs> Since the spirits were the ones who were guiding them, they had courage, for they spoke the truths of greater power. Women, no matter how ill-educated, could now transmit the wisdom of spirits as diverse as Socrates and Benjamin Franklin. Not surprisingly, the rights of women were very much on the minds of these great thinkers, unquote. Hmm. What's neat about this is that women who were forced to be confined to the gender roles of being female could play around with pretending to be more masculine in a safe environment. They would even experiment by walking in the shoes of someone of a different cultural background. According to Grant Sherev, in the article When Women Channeled the Dead to be Heard, quote, it was not uncommon for mediums to become, under the influence of spirits, swearing sailors, Native Americans, or oversexed male suitors. Wow. In one particular dense seance, according to historian R. Lawrence Moore, a female medium channeled 31 different spirits, including a firm, erect military man named Captain Hodge. Well, although the licensed mediums were granted to float through a variety of races, genders, and nationalities, it was, it was radical in this way. Moore reports that one of the more serviceable functions of channeling spirits was how often these spirits instructed mediums to, get ready, divorce their husbands. Oh, dang. Yep. Used, abused, and unhappy women were able to safely convince their husbands to divorce them by contacting ghosts. 
setting them free to earn their own money, right? Travel in the process. Oh, man. Yeah. So now that was, you know, just what white women were dealing with. Black women who were still slaves were given the strength to leave their owners and write their stories with the help of spiritualism. According to Dianca London Potts, quote, former slave Harriet Jacobs found power by channeling the voices of others. A year after the Fox sisters became household names, Jacobs fled her abusive owner and relocated to Rochester, New York, where she became friends with Amy Post. With Post's encouragement, Jacobs became determined to tell her story, and the result was the 1861 publication of Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, and she wrote that under the pen name Linda Brent. So we read that in college, and I highly recommend that everyone reads it because it's incredible. Nice. I'll link that in the show notes then. Yeah. As Erin E. Forbes argues in her 2016 essay, Do Black Ghosts Matter? Harriet Jacobs' Spiritualism, the autobiography is itself a communication from the dead that made the act of authorship synonymous with the, quote, radical agency of the medium who communicates as and for another. Another writer and medium, Harriet E. Wilson, channeled her consciousness into the fictive body of her novel's heroine as a deliberate act of survival. Applauded in the 1867 edition of Banner of Light, which was a Boston-based spiritualist newspaper, Wilson was regarded as a trance speaker soon to take high rank. As her career flourished, Wilson's experience with spiritualism was initially defined by inclusion. In her eyes, the spiritualist community was, as her spiritualist colleague J.C. Street suggested, non-sectarian and free from the unscrupulous, rich, white men who impeded spiritual progress. As one of the first Black women to publish a novel, Wilson's 1859 narrative, Our N-word, sketches from the life of a free Black, documented her experience as a woman of color, giving her the authority to, to bestow her own convictions on the novel's protagonist, Fredo. Wow. So look at all these women of color doing God's work. <laughs> it's true. Doing God's mission. Truly. <laughs> doing stuff for themselves, like especially when they're in this terrible time. I know. And like, regardless of what other people say or thought about them, they were just like, I'm gonna do this anyway. They were speaking in public. They were writing memoirs. Like, this was such a big deal. And spiritualism helped them get to that point. It's true. Which is so amazing. Mm -hmm. So by using spiritualism by means of communicating not only with ghosts, but with the living, women of color were able to freely occupy segregated intellectual and religious spaces. Harriet E. Wilson's clairvoyance was also allowed her to open the first ever spiritualist Sunday school, making her one of the few black women to teach at a private school at the time. I wonder what that class would have been like. Like, I wish I could travel back in time yes. and see. How incredible. My God. Mediums were also concerned about the treatment of sex workers as well. Oh! One medium, Emma Hardinge, even used her spiritual influence to create and earn money for the Plan for Self-Sustaining Institution of Homeless and Outcast Women in the early 1860s. Wow. The proposal was very controversial to say the least, but it lit a fire under the butt of those who opposed women's right to vote. 
because many agreed that if women had the right to vote and they had the power to support themselves, then organizations such as hers to support sex workers uh, would not need to exist. Oh, weird. Hmm. Weird how that would happen. Yeah. Good Morning Nancy is proudly sponsored by Recess Coffee. We wouldn't be able to create such great content without being fueled by their magical beans. And the great part is, is that each batch of coffee is locally, artisanally roasted, and it comes from fair trade farmers. Gracie, what's your favorite blend? Oh my gosh. Okay, so my favorite blend is the Westcott blend. It has African and Indonesian beans mixed to create a clean, rich, and full-bodied cup of coffee. Mm. It has a rich floral vanilla aroma with a sugared almond flavor and a lemon finish. Yum! Ooh, delicious. My favorite is the Austin's blend. It's a unique blend of African, Indonesian, and Central American beans roasted to create a characteristically rich, dark, and smoky cup. It has a bold roasted nut aroma with chocolate flavors and a smooth, fruity finish. The coffee is seriously so good. I don't even have to put any cream or sugar in it. I just drink it black like my soul. (laughs) So guys, head on over to RecessCoffee.com to order yours today. Or if you're a Syracuse local, stop by either shop at 110 Harvard Place or 110 Montgomery Street. So drink coffee, shoot lightning. Now back to the show. All right, so it's true that women now had a voice, but they still had to face stereotypes. According to historian R. Lawrence Moore, mediumship was a profession deeply associated with stereotypical notions of femininity. Mediums were assumed to be passive, impressionable, and extremely sensitive. Mm. These very traits had long been used to justify excluding women from participating meaningfully in public life. And, like, that still happens today. Oh, absolutely. Gag me with a spoon. (laughs) Mediumship may have offered women the chance to speak in public and leave their abusive households and slave masters, but it was still a catch-22. They would still have to conform to the idea of femininity, which at the time was considered inherently weak and required the woman to hold the position of mother and wife. Apart from famous trance speaker Asha Sprague, who never married or had children, many female spiritualists were married, even the ones who divorced their husbands usually remarried. There was still this idea that women should have husbands and be mothers. To many married spiritualists, this was no big deal, but they wanted to have a choice in the matter. The most sacred and important right of woman, spiritualists asserted, is her right to decide for herself how often and under what circumstances she shall assume the responsibility and be subjected to the cares of maternity. Mm-hmm. This message did not sit well with men. Apparently, married women began to limit sexual intercourse between themselves and their husbands, in turn creating what is now commonly known as domestic feminism. Women who choose to stay at home, be housewives, and express themselves in more stereotypical feminine ways felt that they still had every right to control their environment. Absolutely. Well, as it should be. (laughs) Women also challenged the feminine notion that they had to wear dresses and corsets, arguing that these styles were placed upon them and designed to attract men. By literally creating fashion barriers, women were enslaved and many women felt that corsets were a symbol for cages. 
Men also believed that women, being the weaker sex, were more prone to health issues and needed looking after. And this goes back to the idea that mediums exude a negative force. The force that made them more susceptible to clairvoyance also made them more susceptible to illnesses as well. See how it's a catch-22? Mm -hmm. The same force that gave women power also made them appear weak in the eyes of men. According to Anne Broad, opponents of women's rights argued that women's generative organs inclined them toward disease and debility, making it impossible for women to enter society on an equal footing with men. ay ay ay. Female mediums tried to turn the stereotype on its head and use it to become advocates for women's health, which was highly underappreciated at the time. The term medical medium was created, and they were all predominantly women. If women were so sick and weak, it would take another woman to know exactly what she, the patient, was going through. So spiritualists began advocating for women to receive medical training in order to care for other women. A woman's inherently nurturing qualities made them perfect for the medical field. In the book Radical Spirits, two women of the 19th century were singled out in their comments about women physicians. In an address entitled Woman the Physician, Mary Nichols argued that woman was suited to healing because she was loving, whereas man has the strength to be a surgeon, poisoner, destroyer, hangman, unquote. (laughs) Yikes! Okay. Spiritualist Miranda Randall received her MD in 1855, and in an article in the New Era announcing her degree, it was stated, quote, Who shall do this work better than a woman? Woman who has suffered at the hands of materia medica, unquote. Mm. Anne Broad's comment on this historical feat saying, Just as trans speakers swelled the ranks of America's first group of women on the public platform, so medical mediums were well represented among the first women to receive formal medical training. Wow. That's a big deal. So cool. Holy cats. (laughs) Andrew Jackson Davis, a self-proclaimed medium and activist, played a role, played a huge role in being a male ally for women's rights. He blamed past misfortunes on women who died in childbirth and the death of babies on male doctors who he believed were ignorant to how women's bodies worked and how to care for children. (laughs) Davis advocated for the use of midwives for births and for doctors to approach health with a sectarian view. Christian male doctors just assumed any pain women felt was natural because of the curse of Eve. Ugh. Mm. Davis disagreed and was under the impression that women were naturally strong human beings. How else would they be able to give birth? Davis felt that male doctors needed to listen to their female patients and midwives in order to correctly treat them. Thank goodness for male allies like Andrew Jackson Davis. I know. Thanks, buddy. (laughs) So even with a handful of influential men on their side, women continued to fight the stereotypes surrounding femininity. As Anne Broad puts it, how could spiritualists reconcile this celebration of female weakness and passivity with their assertions that women were naturally strong and healthy? As spiritualists struggled with cultural vocabulary of Victorian ideas about gender and stretched them to their limits, they bumped up against contradictions inherent within them. Spiritualism as a movement was beginning to show signs of deterioration. 
There were too many paradoxes when trying to explain and defend the movement, and at the same time, there were internal problems. When the Civil War ended in 1865, women were free to speak about their loss and their political views without the use of spiritualism and trans-speak to help boost their audience numbers. Some feminists began to break away from the connection of mediumship and negative feminine, and talks of turning spiritualism into an official religious organization concerned the Quakers, Methodists, and other religious persons who were made uncomfortable with the thought of leaving their current church. This also worried the mediums who didn't want to belong in who didn't want to belong to an official organization, stating that spiritualism was about one's self and intent. Well-known medium Cora Hatch is quoted as saying, "I am bitterly opposed to religious organizations of any kind, to anything that fetters or binds the human mind." Mm. By the 1870s, spiritualism saw an intense drop in followers due to so much scandal. For over almost 20 years, it seemed that only a few staple mediums were left in the USA, including the Fox Sisters. However, over the years, the Fox Sisters began to develop drinking problems and were known to get into terrible fights with clients and with each other. Oh, no. Oh, no is right. Finally, around 1888, a confession was made that seemed to threaten the authenticity of spiritualism altogether. According to Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's The History of Spiritualism, Kate and Maggie became increasingly frustrated with Leah, who made comments on their bad drinking habits. Leah was concerned that their alcoholism was hindering their spiritual powers as well as making the family look bad. At the same time, Maggie, contemplating a return to Roman Catholic faith, became convinced that her powers were diabolical. Eager to harm Leah as much as possible, the two sisters traveled to New York City, where a reporter for the New York World offered $1,500 if they would expose their methods and give him an exclusive on the story. Maggie appeared publicly at the New York Academy of Music on October 21, 1888, with Kate present. Before an audience of 2,000, Margaret demonstrated how she could produce, at will, raps audible throughout the theater. Doctors from the audience came on stage to verify that the cracking of her toe joints was the source of the sound. Yikes, girl. Yeah. Whomever was left from the spiritualist movement felt betrayed. Kate and Maggie were shunned by their sister Leah and by the community that once supported them. Unable to deal with the rejection, they recanted their story of it being a hoax just one year later. However, the damage to their career and character was done. Within a few years, both Kate and Maggie died in poverty and were buried in paupers' graves in Brooklyn, New York. In one of her last quoted statements on spiritualism, Kate said in the New York Herald, quote, I regard spiritualism as one of the greatest curses that the world has ever known, unquote. Mm. Now, one would imagine that this confession killed spiritualism, no pun intended. <laughs> However, almost the complete opposite happened. Although spiritualism would not be as connected to women's suffrage as it was before, it saw a huge resurgence in the 1880s and into the 20th century, and not just the USA, but all over the world. 
Yeah, so by 1897, spiritualism was said to have more than 8 million followers <laughs> in the United States and Europe. Oh my god. Yeah, and it was mostly drawn from middle and upper classes. Corporate organizations such as Hasbro took this opportunity to create products for the medium and all of us to purchase and use. <laughs> the use of talking boards was already a common practice by 1886, but businessman Elijah Bond had the idea to patent a planchette sold with a board on which the alphabet was printed, much like the previously existing talking boards. The famous Ouija, or Ouija, however you pronounce it, <laughs> everyone does differently, I guess, yeah. was named and created in Baltimore, Maryland in 1890. So around this time, it became increasingly popular to photograph mediums and seances as a means of proving the existence of spirits, but also for entertainment and, unfortunately, crime. With this technology, mediums were able to capture the strange events that supposedly surrounded their seances. In 1894, researcher Charles Richet coined the term ectoplasm to explain the substance of spiritual energy exteriorized by physical mediums. And I don't know about you guys, but I think ectoplasm is the most disgusting thing ever. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> nasty. Those Even those old photographs, I'm like, well, it looks awful. Yeah, for real. <laughs> so gross. <laughs> so according to the article Silencing the Dead by Aaron McCarthy, quote, the material was said to be formed when mediums were in a trance state. It could only be created in near darkness, Light, mediums said, would make it disintegrate, and it was emitted from the orifices of the medium's body. No! It soon became all the rage a few years later in the 1900s. I just can't get enough ectoplasm. <laughs> Eva C. was a well-known French psychic and lesbian, and she became known for her series of intense seances and of producing ectoplasm during the 1900s. And I believe one of the ways she produced ectoplasm was through her vagina. Um, no. So, yeah. I'm uncomfortable. She was pretty intense. All right. Mina Marjorie <laughs> Crandon, who was a Canadian socialite, was also a well-known psychic and medium. And she claimed that she channeled her dead brother. And she was known for producing ectoplasm as well. Oh, my God. Helen Duncan from Scotland, another well-known medium, also created ectoplasm. And in 1944, Duncan was one of the last people convicted under the Witchcraft Act in 1735, which made falsely claiming to produce spirits a crime. She was sentenced to nine months in prison. On her release in 1945, Duncan promised to stop conducting seances, but she was arrested during another one in 1956, and then she died a few months later after that arrest. <laughs> Sorry, all I can picture is her in court being like, I promise I won't. I promise. And then her getting out and being like... <laughs> <laughs> I just think it's cool that she was one of the last people convicted of witchcraft. I know. That is wild. <laughs> yeah. My God. So according to Sean Munger in their article, Spiritualism, the 1920s Obsession with the Dead, quote, the decade of the 1920s began immediately after the greatest trauma the Western world had ever known, 
the First World War. Between 10 and 20 million people were killed in this horrible conflict, and the turmoil swept away the old Victorian way of life. So much like how some women use spiritualism to cope during and after the Civil War, middle-class women in Great Britain, Germany, France, Russia, and in the United States found a spiritual calling with speaking with the dead again. Hmm. According to the Wikipedia page on spiritualism, and I know Wikipedia is not the most reliable source. It's okay. It's all right. It gets the job done. (laughs) (laughs) But this was really the only place I could find like a clear cut explanation of how spiritualism evolved into three different like directions, organizations. All of these organizations still exist in spiritualism today. So there's syncretism. The first of these continued the tradition of individual practitioners organized in circles centered on a medium and clients without any hierarchy or dogma. So the spiritualist church was another one, and that was the second direction taken, and that was sort of the more formal organization patterned after Christian denominations, which was Mm. what all the women during the women's rights movements didn't want. Mm. But it happened anyway. Yeah. Uh, Psychical research is the third part of spiritualism, which was founded by the Society of Psychical Research, SPR. So parapsychologists emerged to investigate all these spiritualist claims, and the SPR's investigations into spiritualism exposed many fraudulent mediums, which contributed to the decline of interest in physical mediumship. Oh, Ed and Lorraine Warren? Mm -hmm. Isn't that what they did? Yes, they were technically parapsychologists, I think. Mm. Yeah. Wow. Or they were demonologists. Oh, you're right. You're right. Okay. Wow, that's kind of cool, though. Yeah, so eventually, like, spiritualism just became, basically, it became what people didn't want. But luckily, like, there are these two other parts of it, you know, that depending on, I guess, your beliefs, you can kind of find, you know, something to latch on to in spiritualism. Would you call it a happy medium? No. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. You can fire me after that if you want. No, you're fine. I I can't do this without you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, thanks. So, in conclusion, I think it goes without saying at this point that spiritualism influenced the growth of women in our country. And because of the history and connection to mediumship and the supernatural, it's given women a way to embrace their feminine powers and access that ancestral magic that's become so mainstream now. We can see its ripple effect now in our current state as women's rights become threatened and we feel the grip of our political climate kind of tighten. Like, we're turning to those supernatural powers and using our spirituality to get us through and kind of give us a voice to fight. So, spiritualism was used as a tool to bridge female intuition, knowledge, and power into a marriage with basic human rights, dignity, and respect. Mm -hmm. Women used spirituality as a means to provide others with these same ideals when they were hopeless or grieving or, at the very least, just curious about the mysteries of life beyond the grave. I find it fitting that this movement was full of powerful women because as the givers of life, women have more of a connection to the world of spirits than we can even fathom. Mm -hmm. We can hold more than one spirit in our body at a time, 
something that is so powerful and still scientifically incredible, yet totally necessary to sustain the human race. And I think this is what gives us the power to communicate with those who have passed on because we share this connection to giving life that makes us a literal conduit for another spirit to pass from one world to the next. And it only comes with great sacrifice. We have to give up our bodies and comfort to literally give life to someone else. So it only makes sense that this was a movement brought about by female energy and power. Absolutely. Spiritualism was necessary for the development of the women's movement because, as we stated earlier, it led us away from toxic masculine religions and the idea that God is an angry, fierce entity that would destroy us for our own human foibles. It gave people the hope of seeing their loved ones again and gave women a platform for a new kind of freedom. And this freedom is what has shaped us through the generations. No longer persecuted as witches and soothsayers, we began to unfold the knowledge of our ancestors and use it to affect changes in the way women and minorities were treated. And now we've reached a point in history where talking to the dead and using witchcraft is not only accepted and revered, but has become synonymous with female intuition and strength. And it's because of women like the Fox Sisters and Sojourner Truth that we've come to appreciate the spiritual side. And instead of being fearful, we welcome these spirit guides to show us the way. We can see it in films, books, and even hear it in some of the music of our present-day pop culture. Without the spiritualist movement, we may have never known how to tap into that inner self, the one that we turn to for guidance when we feel a bit lost, or the one who looks for answers in the midst of chaos. While it may not be for everyone, it's clear that its effects have reached us in unimaginable ways and the echoes of spiritualism will continue to ring through the generations to come. It's inspiring for women like us to hear about our sisters from the past, even with all of its imperfections and skepticism. Still, even among the hardships, spiritualism managed to survive and make its way back into our history over and over again. It's woven into the very fabric of feminism and our state history, proving that there is, in fact, life after supposed death, and sometimes death is the beginning of something else entirely be it communication with the spirits or the basic human rights of women in America. Oh, thank you so much, Abby. That was a great conclusion. Thank you, Gracie. That research was incredible. Oh, you're welcome. (laughs) You know, and I do want to add something that we weren't really able to talk about, but during the spiritualism movement, like the first part of it, like that was the first time that on the presidential ticket was a black man and a woman. Yes. It was Frederick Douglass and Victoria Woodhull. Mm -hmm. And so like the fact that people's minds were opening up so much like do that time like obviously neither one of them won the presidency but the fact that they were on the ticket is yeah. huge and we have spiritualism to thank for that i mean it's insane i know <laughs> incredible oh my god yeah it is incredible and now we have places like lilydale which is in western new york mm-hmm. and people who still believe in psychic energy and people who believe in the psychic energy that new york state has, you know, created, I mean, Mormonism was also created in the state. Yeah. So there is this sort of energy that I think that is in New York State and 
we can, people who are interested in it, I really should come here to the state and really explore uh, the psychic energy that is here. Nobody gives New York State, like, any sort of credit. Like, everyone, like, goes to New York City. I know. Nobody comes upstate. And (laughs) there's so much, like, spiritual energy here that is so cool. And if you're a practicing witch, this is, like, the perfect place to come and practice. Like, it's insane. It's true. So, yeah. Oh, man. So awesome. Awesome. Well, you guys, thank you so much for listening to this special episode of Good Morning, Nancy. I want to thank our patrons, especially our Ellen patrons. We have Jarvis, Kate, who is a new patron. Thank you, Kate, and Michael. You guys are our Ellen Ripley patrons are the reason why that we are still here and we're still doing it. Like it is, it's just amazing. Like every day I am thankful for our patrons because really like you guys are the reason that we are still going. Like so true. It's amazing. So thank you. Thank you so, so much. Yes. You guys are awesome. Yes. And don't forget to check out our merch shop. We've got mugs and sweatshirts and t-shirts and more guys. So go to goodmorningnancy.com slash merch and click the shirt icon and you will be taken to our shop. Yeah, and if you'd like some sweet extra content in your coffee, head on over to patreon.com slash goodmorningnancy, and for just a few bucks a month, you can listen to some bloopers from our show, watch us review new horror movies, and more! Don't forget to leave a five-star review on your favorite podcast app. It just takes a few minutes to rate and review our show, and you know, it really helps us receive recognition and helps new listeners who are interested in horror and feminism find us. Mm-hmm. You can also help us out by following us on social media, Twitter at Good Morning Nan, Facebook at Good Morning Nancy, and Instagram at Good Morning Nancy Podcast. Also, tell a friend and spread the word. We love you all to death. Have a good morning. Bye. Bye.